السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners We continue with the commentary of hadith number 3364 from Sahih al-Bukhari وبالإسناد المتصل مني إلى الإمام البخاري رحمه الله قال حدثني عبد الله بن محمد قال حدثنا عبد الرزاق قال أخبرنا معمر عن أيوب السختياني وكثير بن كثير بن المطلب ابن أبي وداع, ابن أبي وداع يزيد أحدهما على الآخر عن سعيد بن جبير عن ابن عباس رضي الله سعيد بن جبير قال ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما I relate with a continuous and interrupted chain from me to Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, who says, Abdullah ibn Muhammad related to me, that Abdul Razak related to us, that Ma'mar informed us from Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani and Kathir ibn Kathir, each of them adding more than the other. From Sa'id ibn Jubayr, that Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhuma, said, that's the chain of narration at the beginning of the hadith and we began this hadith a few weeks ago and the part where we reached last week was where the hadith informs us about the Prophet Ibrahim السلام, visiting his son Ismail السلام, after his wife Hajar anha, had passed away and he had gone to visit Ismail in order to inquire about his children, about, about his child, his family and what he had left behind. A quick summary so far. This hadith is about the Prophet Ibrahim and his family. The hadith begins with the journey of Ibrahim السلام, with his wife, Hajar anha, and their infant child, Ismail السلام, from Kan'an, the place of residence for the family, to Makkah al-Mukarramah, which at that time was unknown. It was just a barren valley, void of vegetation, void of water, void of any inhabitation. Prophet Ibrahim السلام, deposited the mother and child Ismail and Hajar السلام, there 
with a bag of dates and a sheepskin, well, a leather skin of water. And then he returned. At the edge of the valley, he turned around and facing in the direction of the about to be built Kaaba, he prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, pleading with Allah to, with certain prayers which I've gone into in detail before. رَبَّنَا إِنِّي أَسْكَنْتُ مِنْ ذُرِّيَّةِ بِوَادٍ غَيْرِ ذِي زَرْعٍ عِنْدَ بَيْتِكَ الْمُحَرَّمِ رَبَّنَا لِيُقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ فَاجْعَلْ أَفِدَةً مِنَ النَّاسِ تَهْوِي إِلَيْهِمْ وَارْزُقْهُمْ مِنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَشْكُرُونَ O oh, our Lord, verily, I have settled members of my family in a valley without any vegetation, close to your sacred house. O oh, our Lord, so that they may establish salah. Therefore, cause the hearts of the people to flutter towards them in love and sustain them, provide for them of fruits. Perhaps they may be grateful. There were further prayers as well. And then Ibrahim salam returned to Gan'an, the ancient land of Palestine. There, he remained with his other family, and behind him, Ummuna Hajar radiallahu anha, along with the son, they survived for as long as they could on the single bag of dates and the single skin of water. When the water expired, since the mother was suckling the child, she depended on the water for the milk and the dates. But when the water and dates had expired, she, in her desperation, began frantically searching for water which led her to climb the two hillocks of Safa and Marwa and caused her to run in between. When she completed this cycle seven times, she heard a sound that was the angel who then gave her glad tidings and then caused the well of Zimzum to spring forth for her. That running to and fro and the climbing of the two hillocks of Safa and Marwa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inaugurated it and consecrated it as a permanent rite to be performed by all pilgrims till Yawmul Qiyamah. And that is the origin of the Sa'i, Sa'i between Safa and Marwa as part of Hajj and Umrah. The well of Zamzam gushed forth, and then after that, the mother and child continued to survive just on the water for some time before some members of the Yemeni tribe of Jurhum passed by. They sought permission to settle near her. They were given permission on the condition that they would have no right to water. Eventually, a large settlement developed in and around the valley when Ismail salam grew up. He learned Arabic from them, and when he grew up, he married into them and married a woman from the tribe of Jurhum. It was, and then, after a long time, the mother actually passed away. Ummuna Hajar radiallahu anha, she passed away at a very advanced age. According to some narrations, she was 90 years old when she passed away. Then Ibrahim salam came to visit his son, the Prophet Ismail And this is where we left off last week. I'll just quickly 
repeat that last part again because it's relevant to the new part that we are going to read, so I'll have to join the two together. فَجَاءَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ بَعْدَمَا تَزَوَّجَ إِسْمَاعِيلُ يُطَالِعُ تَرِكَتَهُ So Ibrahim السلام, came after Ismail السلام, had married, seeking out and inquiring of his legacy. فَلَمْ يَجِدْ إِسْمَاعِيلُ So he didn't find Ismail. فَسَأَلَ مُرَأَتَهُ عَنْهُ so he asked his wife about him. So she said, He has gone out searching for us, meaning hunting for us. So Ibrahim asked her about their life, their livelihood, and their condition. She replied, we are in great distress. We are in straitened circumstances and in difficulty, severity. So thus she complained to him. He says, Ibrahim said, so when your husband arrives, convey my greetings to him. And say to him, that he should change the threshold of his door. So when Ismail arrived, it was as though he sensed something. And as I mentioned in one narration, he smelt the fragrance of his father. فقال, so he said, Has anyone come to you? قالت, she said, yes. An old man came to us, such and such. And in one narration, meaning, in another narration elsewhere, not in Bukhari, she spoke very contemptuously of him, disparagingly and dis- disrespectfully of him, saying, yes, an old man came, such and such, he was like this, he was like that. So she spoke of him disparagingly and disrespectfully. So he questioned us about you, so I informed him. And he asked me, how was our life? So I informed him, that we are in great difficulty and severity. So he said, did he instruct you with anything? She said, yes. He instructed me to convey greetings to you. ويقول and say غير عتبة بابك to change that you should change the threshold of your door. قال إسماعيل عليه السلام said ذاك أبي that is my father. وقد أمرني أن أفارقك and he has instructed me that I should separate from you. 
ilhaqi bi ahliki. Go back to your fa- join your family. Fatallaqaha, so he divorced her. Watazawwaja minhum ukhra. And he married another one from amongst them, meaning he married another lady from the same tribe of Jurhum, because that, that was the only tribe there. And in essence, he was an outsider. فَلَبِثَ عَنْهُمْ إِبْرَاهِيمُ مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ So Ibrahim السلام, remained away from them as long as, our, as Allah wished him to. So after that encounter, he never got to see his son. But he only spoke to his wife, and then he returned. And the only instructions he left behind was to convey his greetings and to tell him to change the threshold of his door which meant that he should separate from her. I explained this in some detail last week, so I'll repeat that part. We're moving on. فَلَبِثَ عَنْهُمْ إِبْرَاهِيمُ مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ After having returned, Ibrahim السلام, stayed away from them, meaning his family, for as long as Allah wished. ثُمَّ أَتَاهُمْ Then he came to them afterwards. فَلَمْ يَجِدَّ So again, he didn't find his son Ismail. فَدَخَلَ عَلَى مرأته. So he visited the house, he visited his wife. So he questioned her about him. He has gone out searching for us, meaning hunting for us. Ibrahim said, How are you? And he questioned her about their life and their condition. So she replied, we are in great good and in great ease. And she praised Allah. So he said, What is your food? She said, Meat. He said, So what's your drink? She replied, Water. Ibrahim said, Allahumma barik lahum fil lahmi wal Oh Allah, bless them in meat and the water. In the meat and water. قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم, the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said, وَلَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُمْ يَوْمَ إِذٍ And in those days they didn't have grains. وَلَوْ كَانَ لَهُمْ دَعَى لَهُمْ فِيهِ And had they grains, Ibrahim عليه السلام would have prayed for the blessing of grains too for them. قال, Prophet said, فَهُمَا لَا يَخْلُوا عَلَيْهِمَا أَحَدٌ بِغَيْرِ مَكَّةٌ إِلَّا لَمْ يُوَافِقَاهُ That these two mean meat and water. No one subsists on them anywhere other than Mecca except that they do not agree with him. قال, he says, he, Ibrahim alayhi salam, said, فَإِذَا جَاءَ زَوْجُكِ فَقْرَئِي عَلَيْهِ salam." So when your husband arrives, convey greetings to him. وَمُرِيهِ And instruct him. يُثْبِتَ عَتَبَةَ بَابِهِ That he should keep the threshold of his door. And in one narration, فَإِنَّهَا صَلَاحُ الْمَنْزِلِ That he should keep the threshold of his door 
for it is the goodness of the house. فَلَمَّا جَاءَ إِسْمَعِيلَ So when Ismail السلام, arrived, قال, he said, هَلْ أَتَاكُمْ مِنْ أَحَدْ Did anyone come to you? قالت, نعم. She said, yes. أَتَانَا شَيْخٌ An elderly, gen- an elderly man came to us. حَسَنُ الْهَيْئَةِ Of beautiful appearance. وَأَثْنَتَ عَلَيْهِ And she praised him. فَسَأَلَنِي عَنْكَ فَأَخْبَرْتُهُ And he questioned me about you. So I informed him. فسألني and he asked me كيف عيشنا how is our life فأخبرته أننا بخير so I informed him that we are in great good قال إسماعيل عليه السلام said فأوصاك بشيء did he then instruct you of anything قالت نعم she said yes هو يقرأ عليك السلام he conveys greetings to you ويأمرك أن تثبت عتبة بابك and he commands you to keep the threshold of your house, of your door. قال ذاك أبي. He said, this is my father. وأنت العتبة. And you are the threshold. أمرني أن أمسكك. He has commanded me to retain you. ثم لبث عنهم ما شاء الله. Then he remained away from them for as long as Allah wished. So he went back. And again he didn't meet his son. On the second occasion. The next part of the hadith is actually the final part which deals with the final visit of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And we'll arrive at that later on. But allow me to explain this section here about the two visits of Ismail of Ibrahim alayhi salam when he didn't actually get to see his son. But even in the absence of his son, Without meeting him, Ibrahim ensured that he took care of the household needs and the social, religious and personal welfare of his son, even though he didn't get to see him. And having done that, he returned. So on the first occasion, as the hadith says, he arrived. He didn't find his son, Ismail So he visited the house and he inquired of the wife of Ismail whom he had not met before. So he was never present in, the mar- in his son's marriage. And he asked her, where is he? So she said that he's gone out hunting for us. So he asked her, how is life? How are you? How is life at home? What's your livelihood like? And she began complaining. And she complained to him in many ways. That we are in severity, we are in straitened circumstances, we are in dire straits, we are in difficulty. And she continued to complain to him. That's all she said. Another thing is, she didn't treat Ibrahim well. She didn't mistreat him. But she never received him well. She didn't entertain him. She never offered any food. She wasn't hospitable. She 
did not take care of any need. She did not inquire of his needs or welfare. And ignoring Ibrahim السلام, her focus was on herself and on them as a family. We are in great difficulty, we are in severity, we are in dire straits. So she never mistreated him, but at the same time she didn't treat him well. Ibrahim السلام, told her, convey my greetings to my two... He never said, I am his father. He said, convey my greetings to your husband and tell him to change the threshold of his door, the doorstep. When Ibrahim Ismail came back, Ibrahim explained, his wife explained everything to him. He understood immediately. In fact, when he entered, it was as though he, he felt something. The son, being a prophet of Allah, felt the presence of his holy father, the prophet of Allah. He smelt his fragrance, as is mentioned in one narration. So he questioned his wife when she told him, yes, such and such a man came. And as I mentioned, in one narration, it's meant, it said, She described the father to the husband as in a very derogatory, disparaging manner, saying, oh, he was like this, he was like that. When she told him that, he said, change the door of your, the doorstep, the threshold of your door, Ismail said, that was my father, and he has told me to separate from you, join your family, and then he divorced her. And then he married another woman from the same tribe. Having done all of this, Ibrahim returned. He didn't get to see his son. And as the ulama say, Ibrahim السلام, never came to marry his son, he came to divorce his son. Meaning he, he did not come to get his son married, he came to get his son divorced. And I explained in detail last week why. Because a partner in life is supposed to be someone who aids you, someone who assists you. Someone who is a boon, not a burden. Someone who is an impetus, not, an hin- not a hindrance. Someone who is, who carries his or her weight and helps you carry your weight, rather than becoming a burden on you. That's a true spouse, man or woman, husband or wife. In a hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, after iman, and in one narration after taqwa, Allah has not given any man any better gift than a woman, than a wife, who when he looks at her, she pleases him. When he gives her instructions, she obeys him. And when he is absent from her, she guards her chastity just as Allah has commanded her to. So after iman, after taqwa, one of the greatest gifts anyone can have, man or woman, is to have a spouse, a husband or wife, who when they look at them, please them. 
who when they bid them enjoin their command and who when they are absent from them are faithful, guard their chastity and continue to fulfill the law of Allah in their presence or in their absence. And Allah forbid, if the opposite is true, where despite iman, despite faith, despite taqwa, if someone is burdened with an unhelpful, burdensome, uncooperative spouse, then that can be a true test and trial from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it can still be passed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests his servants. Allah tested the Anbiya alayhimu salatu wasalam through their spouses. He tested Nuh alayhi salam through his wife. He tested Lut alayhi salam through his wife. He tested Asiya, the wife of Fir'aun, through her husband. And all of them were shining examples. But Ibrahim felt that his son was to become a leader of his people. He was to carry the message of Allah. He was to lead the people. But how would he be able to lead his people when he did not enjoy that support in his own household? And not only that, being a prophet of Allah, he would have had the strength to do it alone. But it was also a question of worthiness. Such an individual who was ungrateful, who was incessantly complaining, who could not see beyond herself and her immediate family, so much so that she couldn't even offer grace and hospitality to an old gentleman who was visiting her family, who was inquiring of her husband, and who was standing at their doorstep. Such an individual was not worthy of being in a prophetic household. So Ibrahim alayhi salam, whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, being a messenger of Allah, endowed with great foresight, perception, wisdom, sagacity, Ibrahim alayhi salam instantly recognized that this lady is not worthy of being in my son, a prophet of Allah's household and marriage. So he said, change your threshold, threshold of your door. And after that he left. So he came not to get his son married, but he came to get his son divorced. When Ismail married another woman from the same tribe of Jurhum, Ibrahim had the exact same encounter with that family on his second visit. He remained absent for as long as Allah wished him to remain away. And then when he came to Mecca, all the way from Qan'an, he came to the house of Ismail he wasn't there, so he inquired. The wording of the hadith suggests that Ibrahim salam tried to inquire of his son around the city before he went to the house. Because when he couldn't find him, then he visited the house. He asked the wife, where is he? He's gone out hunting. So Ibrahim salam took the opportunity to question her just as he questioned the previous wife. How are you? She said, Inna bi wa 
Praise be to Allah. We are in great good, blessing, provision, and ease. And she praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Grateful to him, being thankful to him. Then he asked her something which he never asked the previous one. But it's also mentioned in another narration of Bukhari, of Bukhari itself that she offered to be hospitable. She, she offered hospitality and grace and said, why don't you come eat with us? Descend. Visitors, eat with us. She offered great, she showed great hospitality. He then asked her, What is your food? So she said, Allahum, meat. Then he, he said, So what is your drink? She said, Alma, water. So Ibrahim alayhi salam prayed to Allah, Allahumma barik lahum. And in, in another narration of Bukhari, Allahumma barik lahum fi ta'amihim wa sharabihim. Oh Allah, bless them in the meat and in the water. Oh Allah, bless them in their food and in their drink. And again, in another hadith of Bukhari, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Barakatun bidawati Ibrahim alayhi salam, that there is blessing in the food of the Arabs because of the dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And then the Prophet ﷺ also explained that no one subsists. No one survives exclusively on meat and water anywhere apart from the people of Mecca. Except that this meat and water exclusively do not agree with them. Allow me to explain this. And then the Prophet ﷺ also added that in those days, at the very early days of the settlement of Mecca, during the time of Ismail salam, Oh yes, before I continue, I'd just like to uh, clarify something. Right at the beginning, a few weeks ago, when I was mentioning the history of Ibrahim salam and some of the chronology, I said, Ibrahim salam 2,000 years ago, and that was a slip of the tongue. The, some people questioned me about it afterwards, and what I intended to say was 2,000 years CE, before uh, the common era, the Christian era. So 4,000 years from now, but 2,000 years before the Christian calendar, so 4,000 years from now. So at the time of Ismail, alayhi salam, the Prophet said they never had grain. If they had grain, then Ibrahim would have prayed for the blessing of grains too for the people of Mecca. All that simply means that Makkah al-Mukarramah, as we know, being a barren valley, even now as it was then, was there was no vegetation. There wasn't a drop of water, a blade of grass, no vegetation. The only water that appeared was a well of Zimzum. And that was miraculous in itself. But they, it was a nomadic society, even in the earliest days, until many, many generations later. And the region of Mecca doesn't really allow for agriculture. So it wasn't an agricultural region. As a result, there was no grain. Unlike Medina, 
even at the time of the Prophet Al-Madinatul Munawwarah was very fertile. And in fact, some of the valleys which dried up afterwards were actually running rivers at the time of the Prophet So Medina was always very fertile. It was a very fertile oasis. And there was great agriculture there. Not just uh, dates, but other produce too. But Makkah al-Mukarramah wasn't an agricultural region. So their nomadic lifestyle was exclusively one. Their food was mainly just meat, hunted meat. Just Ismail would go out to hunt. So hunted meat and, and domesticated meat and water. And in one narration, milk. And the milk would be from the animals. So... Because there was no grain, the Prophet ﷺ did not pray for grain for them. Prophet Ibrahim but he prayed for meat and water. But because of the dua of Ibrahim the Prophet ﷺ says that there is, that there is no one anywhere, apart from Makkah al-Mukarramah, apart from the people of Makkah, who can subsist and survive exclusively on meat and water, except for the people of Mecca. And that's very true. The Arabs, the true Arabs, from the, from the family of Ibrahim, السلام, from the family of Ismail, السلام, they, their consumption of meat, excessive though it may be, and at times exclusive in that they won't have anything else but meat and water. Prophet ﷺ says this doesn't agree with anyone, it can't agree with anyone except for these people. In fact, a few years ago we had an invitation at a great scholar's house in Makkah al-Mukarramah. And while at the invitation there was meat galore and there were a number of non-Arabs present including us, and we were only able to have so much. But they informed us that the Arabs, they mean the true Arabs, have meat all the time. And it never seems to affect them in any way whatsoever. No, it doesn't affect them at all. They can eat meat exclusively and excessively. But it doesn't seem to affect them. Why? Barakatun bid'awati Ibrahim alayhi salam. This is the barakah and the blessing of the dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Allah bless them in their food and in their drink. So, having had this conversation, Ibrahim alayhi salam prayed, and then he told her that when your husband returns, convey my salam to him, my greetings, and tell him to retain the threshold of his door. When he returned, he told her, This was my father. Now, and he has instructed me to retain you, to keep you. And he also added, فَإِنَّهَا صَلَاحُ manzil." That for it, meaning the threshold, i.e. her, she is the goodness of your house, in another narration. Now see the contrast between the first wife and the second wife. And there was nothing major, only a few things. 
Yet Ibrahim السلام, had the foresight and the wisdom to instruct his son to divorce one and keep the other. And his only encounter, his only conversation was at the doorstep, except with the second one who did offer hospitality. And what was the difference? The first one wasn't hospitable. The second one was offered food and drink. The first one, and this was the major factor, she complained. She moaned. She was ungrateful. The second one was grateful. She didn't complain. She didn't moan. She praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even though the condition of Ismail السلام, and his household was exactly the same on both occasions. There was no difference. Yet for the same livelihood, one moaned, groaned and complained and was ungrateful. And the other, for exactly the same condition and lifestyle and livelihood, praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and was grateful to Allah and was content and felt sufficed. On that, Ibrahim said, and because she showed respect. Ibrahim said, divorce one, keep the other. Now, one or two lessons from that. One is qana'ah. The other is respect. Let me speak about respect first. Respect is an in integral, innate, inherent part of Islam. So much about Islam is to do with respect. It's part of our religion, it's part of our ethics, it's part of our culture, it's part of our value system. Prophet says, he who does not respect our elders, And showed he who does not show mercy and compassion to our younger ones, then he is not of us. Respecting those who are senior to us in age, in authority, in position, in family, is part and parcel of our religion. Respect is good. And it's not just our religion. Many cultures throughout the world, they show huge respect. Though they may not share the faith of Islam, their culture is very similar in that they respect the elders, the parents, people who are senior to them. And not just very senior, even if there's an age gap of one year, the younger brothers and sisters, the younger siblings will respect their older siblings. By age. Any seniority deserves respect. And unfortunately, this is something which we are rapidly losing. Respect for our elders. And in this particular case, when a man marries into a family, a woman marries into a family, it's not just about him and her. It's about the two families. Two families come together. A person has in-laws. They are to be respected. Despite one's disagreement with them on occasions, they are to be respected. 
The elders are to be respected. The father-in-law is like a father figure. The mother-in-law is like a mother figure. They are not outlaws. They're in-laws. And Ibrahim السلام, instructed his son to divorce his wife because she failed to respect him as he should have been respected. Not as a messenger of Allah, because she didn't know he was a messenger of Allah. She didn't even know he was a father-in-law. But even as an elderly stranger, she failed to show sufficient courtesy and respect. And that was a character unbefitting a wife of the Prophet of Allah. Respect is part of our culture. So much about our culture, our religion, is, includes respect. I won't go into too much detail, I'll reserve this topic for another occasion. But just to give you one example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Holy Quran, what does he say? That لا تحل شعائر الله ولا الشهر الحرام ولا الهدي ولا القلائد that do not consider lawful, i.e. consider haram meaning sacred. One of the meanings of haram is the antonym of halal, which is unlawful. But the whole idea of being unlawful is that it's forbidden. Forbidden meaning it's, it's to be kept away from. It's to be revered, it's sacred. It shouldn't be touched. That's why we say al-masjid al-haram. So one of the meanings of haram is not just impure or filthy or not good. It actually means sacred, unlawful, forbidden, prohibited. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do not consider halal meaning, do not consider this to be not sacred. Rather consider sacred. Are you worthy of reverence? So what then does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell us? That consider this to be worthy of reverence. Not just respect, but reverence. Sha'air Allah, the symbols of Allah. And what are some of the symbols of Allah? Many, but one of the symbols of Allah mentioned in the Quran, in the Safa wal Marwata min Sha'airillah. Verily, the hillocks of Safa and Marwa are of the symbols of Allah. So two inanimate, silent, jagged pieces of rock are some of the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that are worthy of reverence. Allah continues, الحرام, And do not consider lawful, i.e. revere the sacred month. Then, and nor the sacrificial animals the Arabs would take with them. Sacrificial animals, camels, cows, to be slaughtered. So they would drive them and travel with them from their hometowns and cities all the way to Makkah al-Mukarramah in order to slaughter them in the vicinity of Makkah. 
and sacrifice them for the sake of Allah. These driven animals to the sanctuary of Allah for sacrifice were known as Hadi. And how were they marked? People, they would mark them so that people would realize that these animals are consecrated for sacrifice. They are not to be harmed, touched, hunted, rode. So they would mark them with garlands. And what kind of garlands? In Arabia, you wouldn't find fresh flowers all the time, but even strings of dry leaves. Or sometimes bark of wood. And sometimes even old sandals. The Prophet ﷺ garlanded his sacrificial animals. Aisha radiallahu anha garlanded his sacrificial animals. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And neither the sacred month, and neither the sacrificial animals or the garland. So according to this verse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even the sandals that are hung around sacrificial animals as garlands, marking them for sacrifice, are to be revered and respected. Sandals, garlands of dry leaves, inanimate, jagged pieces of rock, these are all parts of the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If even these are to be respected and revered because of their connection and their nisbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the house of Allah, then what of things such as the holy Qur'an, the kalam, the speech of Allah, the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, religion, religious symbols, knowledge, people of religion, people of knowledge. Everything is about respect. And not just people of knowledge, one's parents, one's seniors, older people, respecting one's father, one's mother. The Arabs, even before Islam had this culture of respect, we learn that the Prophet ﷺ, his grandfather Abdul Muttalib, a noble leader of Quraysh, he had so many sons. People like Abu Lahab, Hamza, the warrior, later, the hunter, warrior. But his sons, numerous, every one of them a spectacle in himself. And yet, Abdul Muttalib would sit on a couch reclining against the Kaaba. And even in the days of Jahiliyyah, before Islam, all his sons, adults amongst them, would sit in front of him in a semicircle respectfully. And not one of them ever had the audacity to occupy his place or sit on the same couch. And when the Prophet ﷺ, as a young child, would come and sit on the couch, knowing their tradition, knowing their respect, they would try to remove him. Because no one could sit on the same couch as Abdul Muttalib. But when they would try to shoo away the Prophet ﷺ as a young child, Abdul Muttalib would prevent them, rebuke them and say, leave my son. And then he would draw him close and make him sit next to him respectfully on the couch. And he would say to his sons all seated before him, do not rebuke him, leave my son, for he shall one day have a great state. But the moral of this story is even in the days of Jahiliyyah,
the Arabs had great respect for their parents. So much so that Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, the leader of the hypocrites in Medina, when he once spoke disparagingly of the Prophet وسلم, referred to in Surah Al-Munafiqoon, لَإِنْ رَجَعْنَا إِلَى الْمَدِينَةِ لَيُخْرِجَنَّ الْأَعَزُّ مِنْهَا الْأَذَلِ His son, who was also called Abdullah, so the full name was Abdullah ibn Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, that Abdullah, the son of Abdullah, he came to the Prophet وسلم, and he said to him, O Prophet of Allah, the whole of Medina knows that there is no son more dutiful to his father than I am to my father. And then the story continues, but we don't have time to go into that. Even in Makkah al-Mukarramah, when families embrace, when individuals embraced Islam, some of them did so secretly out of the fear of their parents and their fathers. And some of the fathers shackled and imprisoned their own sons. So adult sons were imprisoned and shackled by their own fathers. The point is, despite their differing faiths, they still had such respect for their fathers and for their parents that they allowed themselves to be imprisoned in their own homes by their fathers who did not even share their same fate. Today, we should ask ourselves, do we respect our parents as even the pagans respected their pagan parents then, when we have been commanded to do so? Respect is an integral part of Islam. And what this story tells us is that even with one's in-laws, to respect one's father-in-law, one's mother-in-law, for both husband and wife, is important. We may have their disagreements with them, but one needs to respect them. So this is another topic in itself, but that's one lesson to be learned from this episode. Ibrahim alayhi salam, because of the lack of respect, part, partly because of the lack of respect of one wife, told him his son divorce her. And because of the other's respect and deference, he said keep her, partly. The other partial reason was qana'ah. Qana'ah is a term in Arabic, which means, it's very difficult to translate into a single word, but it means to suffice with one's lot in life, and not only to suffice, but to be content with it. To be content with what we have. Not to be disgruntled. Not to incessantly complain. Not to moan, not to groan, not to complain but to be joyful, happy, content, and sufficing with our lot in life, with what provisions we have. And to be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the meaning of qana'ah. And it's a, it's a very important part of Islam. Very important part. Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As radiyallahu anhumah relates in a hadith recorded by my Muslim in his sahih. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ أَسْلَمْ that indeed successful is he who has embraced Islam. And then he has been given only sufficient provisions, meaning provisions that suffice him or her. Then, and then Allah makes him meaning sufficing and content with what he has given him.
according to the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, this is a key to success. This is a mark of success. For a person to be successful, he only has to have three things. And he is successful in the dunya and in the akhirah, in the first life and the afterlife. One is faith. The first is faith. The second, enough food to keep his back straight, enough shelter to allow him to close his eyes, enough clothing for him to protect himself from the elements, sufficient provision, and the third thing, qana'ah, contentment, the feeling of satisfaction and sufficiency with one's lot in life, with whatever one, ha- one has. Otherwise, because richness, wealth, is of the heart. In a hadith again related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim from Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, لَيْسَ الْغِنَى عَنْ كَثْرَةِ الْعَرَضِ وَلَكِنَّ الْغِنَى غِنَى النَّفْسِ Riches, wealth, are not from excessive possessions or from fortune. Arad means fortune. Wealth, لَيْسَ الْغِنَى عَنْ كَثْرَةِ الْعَرَضِ Wealth is not from great fortune or excessive fortune. Rather, wealth is the richness and the wealth of the heart. If a person is poor, regardless of whether a person is poor of hand or rich of hand, if they are rich of heart, they are truly wealthy. And regardless of whether a person has something in their hand or possession or not, and possession or not, If they are poor of heart, disgruntled, discontent, unsatisfied, moaning, groaning, complaining, then no matter how rich they are, they will always be poor. They will always be impoverished. They will never have enough. And as I mentioned earlier, both wives lived in exactly the same conditions, enjoyed the same lifestyle, had the same livelihood, had the same provisions... Yet one was grateful, the other was ungrateful. In the ingratitude, one, in her ingratitude, one couldn't see beyond herself. Very self-occupied. And that's what this does. And the other, despite having enjoyed the same livelihood and lifestyle, she was able to look beyond, be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, be hospitable, be welcoming, accommodating. Moaning, groaning, incessantly complaining. This is a nasty habit. It eats away at a person. It destroys one's peace of mind. In fact, being happy is a gift of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. Truly. Remember the following hadith. It's a very beautiful hadith which the other authors don't relate. It's only to be found in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal and actually also in the Sunan of Ibn Majah. But the story is that one day the Prophet came out with water still, with the effects of water still visible on his water still visible on his head, and he came out looking very peaceful and joyful. Joyful, content. So the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum said to him, Naraka tayyib al-nafs. That, O Messenger of Allah, we see you 
gleeful of heart, joyful of soul. So the Prophet said, Ajal, indeed. Then the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, having said that to the Prophet they began discussing wealth, riches and wealth. So the Prophet said, La ba'sa bil ghina liman ittaqallah. There is no harm in wealth for one who is wary of Allah. So if a person has taqwa, then riches will not harm him. Wealth won't harm him. But it has to, it has to be coupled with taqwa. So he said, لا بأس, لمن, لا بأس بالغنى لمن اتق الله There is no harm in wealth for one who is wary of Allah. Then the Prophet said that health, that even better than wealth, health is far better for one who has taqwa of Allah. So health is far better and more important than wealth, even in the words of the Messenger And then the Prophet said, that the joyfulness and the gleefulness of the heart, of the soul, this is one of the gifts and the blessings of Allah. So to be joyful, to be gleeful, to be content, to be happy, to be satisfied. This in itself is a blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Unless we think that we love to count our misfortunes, we love to enumerate our calamities, we love to point out what we don't have. And so we may ask ourselves, well how can I be happy when I have this going on, when I'm suffering in this manner? How can I be content? when I see him and her, and what she's got and what he's got. In a hadith later by Imam Bukhari, from Sayyidina Abu Hurairah, Prophet says, It's a very beautiful hadith. I relate with a continuous chain from me till Imam Bukhari who says, حَدَّثْنَا إِسْمَعِيلُ قَالَ حَدَّثْنِي مَالِكٌ عَنْ أَبِي الزِّنَادِ عَنِ الْأَعْرَجِ عَنْ أَبِي هُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ الرَّسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ قَالَ إِذَا نَظَرَ أَحْدُكُمْ إِلَى مَنْ فُضِّلَ عَلَيْهِ فِي الْمَالِ وَالْخَلْقِ فَلْيَنْظُرْ إِلَى مَنْ هُوَ Someone who has been given preference and privilege and superiority in wealth and in creation. And the meaning of creation is everything about the dunya, whether it's looks and appearance or riches or possessions or estate, it doesn't matter. When one of you looks at someone who has been given privilege and superiority over them, in wealth and in creation, meaning in the dunya. Then, then let him look at one who is below him. 
Let him look at one who is below him. And in, in another hadith related again from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, recorded by Imam Muslim in his Sahih, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, لا تنظروا إلى من لا تنظروا إلى من انظروا إلى من أسفل منكم ولا تنظروا إلى من هو فوقكم فهو أجدر ألا تزدروا بنعمة الله عليكم Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم says look at those who are beneath you look at those who are beneath you do not look at those who are above you for this, look, i.e., looking at those who are beneath you, not looking at those who are beneath, uh, looking at those who are beneath you, and not looking at those who are above you. This is far more worthy and deserving, and leading to the fact that you will not degrade, you will not degrade or hold in contempt Allah's blessings on you. If a person always looks at others who are more privileged, or who we think are more privileged, we always believe the grass is green on the other side. The truth is the grass is green on both sides. And as human beings, we are never content. If we are here, we want to jump there. When we are there, we want to leap here. We are never happy. We always believe. This is why no matter what we have, is to do with the heart. If the heart is not happy, if the heart is not content, no matter what our material possessions, we are never satisfied. We always think a bit more, some more, and then I'll be happy. Some more, I'll be happy. We think, if I get this done, I'll be happy. If I get this done, I'll be satisfied. We have all these landmarks. We have all these waypoints. That once I get here, everything will be sorted. Once I get there, everything will be sorted. And it's never ending. When we're young, we think, when we grow up, let me just finish my degree. Let me just do my GCSEs. Let me just finish school. After school, as soon as I finish my A-levels in college, everything will be well. Then, as soon as I finish my degree, everything will be well. As soon as I got married, everything will be well. As soon as I'm settled down, as soon as I got my own house, as soon as I got my own property, as soon as I got my own career, my business, it never ends. Man continues to make plans, just as the Prophet ﷺ drew a box. He drew a box. And he drew a long line intersecting the box, stretching from before and way beyond. And then he drew small lines across the outer border. All of this in the sand. And then he told the, he told the Sahaba, anhum, the center line, these are man's hopes, dreams, and aspirations. And they go, they stretch. And these little lines intersecting the outer border, these are the calamities and the misfortunes that befall him. If this doesn't get him, then the next one will. If that one doesn't get him, then the next one will. And if none of these calamities and misfortunes that befall him do not get him, then the box of life will get him. I'm paraphrasing. But his aspirations will remain unfulfilled beyond the measure of his life. So our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations, our goals are there. And our life, or the end of our life, is closer to us 
than the laces of our sandals or the straps of our sandals. So it never ends. We are never happy with what we have now and where we are. We're always looking somewhere else. We're here now and we want to be somewhere else because we think being somewhere else is going to be happy. And when we are somewhere else, we look back at the past to now and we think, oh, that was good. And not only that, we're always trying to be someone else as well. Allah has made us who we are. Every one of us is unique in appearance and character. Every single one of us is unique. In a way, every one of us is special to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنُ الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ التَّقْوِينَ Verily, we have created man in the most beautiful. We have created insan, meaning the human, in the most beautiful mold. One of the courtiers of the Abbasid emperor said, said, whilst looking at the moon, saying that, look how beautiful the moon is. And then he mentioned the beauty of his wife. And he said, if I vow, that if my wife is not more beautiful than the moon, then I divorce her. Now he was in a conundrum. Went round asking, I'll just abbreviate the story. Went round asking that pe many people said, well, she's divorced. How can she be more beautiful than the moon? How can anyone be more beautiful than the moon? One of the ulama saved his marriage and his soul. Saved his wife and his life. And said, Allah says, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ التَّقْوِيمِ Verily, we have created man in the most beautiful mouth. There is nothing as beautiful as man, human. Every one of us is beautiful. And beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has declared man noble, beautiful and honorable. So who else is there to judge? <coughs> so every one of us is unique. Why are we always trying to be someone else? Because we are dissatisfied, discontent with who we are. Always trying to be someone else, somewhere else. This is part of contentment. To be content with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. Not just in terms of provision and our lot in life and wealth, but in everything. Who we are, what we are. If we are to strive, then we only look at those above us in virtue, in character, in knowledge, in piety. But when it comes to everything else, look at those beneath us. As the Prophet wasallam says, this is more helpful in ensuring that you do not disregard or hold in contempt the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because that's what happens. If we're always looking at someone else and thinking, I haven't got that, I don't have that, then we are holding in contempt what Allah has given us. And there are many hadith on this topic about qana'ah. The... As far as wealth is concerned, we're never satisfied. That famous hadith about the... Related by many Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, 
by Imam Bukhari from Abdullah ibn Zubayr and other Sahaba and all others who say that the Prophet said, if man had a valley of gold, he would desire a second. If he had a second valley of gold, he would desire a third. And it's never ending. And then the Prophet said, nothing fills a cavity in man except the dust of the earth. And you know, that hadith is remarkable because as I've explained before, they say that the entire gold ever excavated from earth in the history of mankind, in the entire history of mankind, the total amount of gold ever excavated by any culture, by any civilization, all the gold excavated in the entire history of mankind only amounts to a few football fields or swimming pools. No more. And if you, if you consider that, and then put this hadith into perspective, the Prophet ﷺ says if man not had one or two swimming pools or one or two football fields, which is the entire collective gold excavated in the history of mankind, if man had a whole valley full of gold, even that won't be enough for him. He'll want a second. And if he was given a second, he'd want a third. Why? Because he feasts with his eyes, and these eyes are never satisfied. But if the heart is content, then the heart is content. Prophet ﷺ, no, you know, if we have what, what we have, if we are grateful, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses it. In a hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, the Prophet ﷺ says, when Allah gives something to someone, Allah tests them. So whatever Allah gives to someone, He tests them. If they are grateful, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses that thing for them and expands it. But if they are ungrateful, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not bless it, he restricts it. And there's, again, there's a very beautiful hadith by, related by Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi, Imam Muslim, Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi and others, from Hakim ibn Hizam radiyallahu an. Hakim ibn Hizam radiyallahu an was a very elderly sahabi. It said that he lived till the age of 120, and he embraced Islam at the age of 60. So 60 years is spent in Jahiliyyah, 60 years in Islam. So once he went to the Prophet wasallam and he, he asked the Prophet wasallam for wealth. The Prophet wasallam gave him. He asked him a second time, he gave him. He asked him a third time, he gave him. Then the Prophet wasallam said to him, Ya Hakim, In هذا المال خضرة محلوة فَمَنْ أَخَذَهُ بِسَخَاوَةِ نَفْسٍ بُورِكَ لَهُ فِيهِ وَمَنْ أَخَذَهُ بِإِشْرَافِ نَفْسٍ لَمْ يُبَارَكْ لَهُ فِيهِ كَالَّذِي يَأْكُلْ وَلَا يَشْبَعَ الْيَدُ الْعُلْيَا خَيْرٌ مِّنَ الْيَدِ السُّفْلَةِ Prophet, there's such beautiful words. The Prophet wasallam said to him after he had requested and asked for wealth three times and he had given it to him. Then he said to him, Oh Hakim, this wealth is lush and green, and it's sweet. So whoever takes this wealth with the generosity of the heart, and the meaning of the generosity of the heart here is, 
that he doesn't covet it. He doesn't want it. But it comes to him without him wanting it, without him being greedy for it. That means a generosity of the heart. So when his heart is free from greed, avarice and covetousness, then the heart of the giver will also be free and will be generous. So the Prophet said, whoever takes this wealth with the generosity of the heart, i.e. without no covetousness on his part, without no greed, then this wealth is blessed for him. But whoever takes this wealth with the covetousness of the heart, with the greed and the avarice and the looking forward to it and the coveting of the heart, then the wealth is not blessed for him. Just like that person, who continues to eat but is never filled. Then the Prophet said the upper hand is far better than the lower hand, meaning the giving hand is far better than the taking hand. There are so many other, and this Hakim ibn Hizam radiyallahu and as I said a few weeks ago, the effect of the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on them was such that here was Hakim ibn Hizam radiyallahu an. He went to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and said to him, give me wealth. So he gave it to him. He went second time, said give me wealth, he gave it to him. He went a third time, give me wealth, he gave it to him. Then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to him, he advised him once, with this just one sentence, just one sentence. What was the change in Hakim ibn Hizam radiyallahu an? When he heard these words, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I will never take anything of anyone again till the day I die. Then Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam passed away. Since Hakim ibn Hizam radiyallahu an was an elderly sahabi, when it came to distributing wealth and allocating some wealth, Abu Bakr an called him and said to him, Here, Hakim ibn Hizam an refused to take his allocated share even from Abu Bakr an as a Khalifa. Abu Bakr an passed away. Umar ibn al-Khattab an called him. And he said, here's your share. Hakim ibn Hizam and refused to take it. Umar offered it to him again, refused to take it. Then Umar being Umar, he made an announcement and he said, Ushidukum ya ma'ashar al-Muslimin. That O Assembly of the Muslims, I make you witnesses. That I have given Hakim ibn, I have offered Hakim ibn Hizam his allocated share, but he refuses to take it. But I have done my duty. The narrators say, till the day he died, many, many years after Umar radiallahu an, after Uthman radiallahu an, after Ali radiallahu an, during the time of Sayyidina Muawiyah radiallahu an, till the day he died, he never asked anyone for anything, he never took anything from anyone. That was the effect of one sentence on him, even though he had gone to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam thrice. But imagine if we were to open up our hearts and minds to the words of the noble messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, how would they transform us? We would be content. Contentment is one of the greatest teachings of religion. As I said earlier, two reasons Ibrahim alayhi salam told his son to divorce his wife 
and to keep the other. One was lack of respect and lack of qana'ah. And the other was respect and qana'ah. And qana'ah is to be content and to be satisfied with one's lot in life. And to be grateful for all of that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand. May Allah make us amongst those who are grateful to him. And who are qani' And who are successful. For the mark of success is only three things. In the hadith of Muslim from Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As. قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ أَسْلَمْ وَرُزِقَ كَفَافًا وَقَنَّعُهُ اللَّهُ بِمَا آتَاهُ Indeed, successful is he who has embraced Islam and who has been given in provision sufficiency. And then Allah makes him content with what he has given him. We pray that Allah blesses us with these three qualities. If Then we will be content, we will be happy. And as the Prophet ﷺ appeared to the Sahaba nafs, meaning content of soul. And they said, Ya Rasulullah, we see you joyful and happy and content. And he said, indeed. And what did he tell them? Wealth is not a problem as long as it's coupled with taqwa. Two, health is far better than wealth. And most importantly, وَطِيبُ nafs مِنَ النِّعَمْ being joyful of the soul, gleeful of the heart, is one of the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand and make us amongst those who are grateful and content. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasooli nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdika nashidu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Alcotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.